Hello and welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. I'm Jacob Birch. Eric Stevens here. Uh, no- Hello. <laughs> nothing but bad news uh, this week. Yeah, like, so I forgot. We, we've been going every two weeks here, and like, as we were, I was sort of formulating the notes for this, I had forgotten the exact timing. There's been a lot that has happened, like, since we last recorded, and it seems like none of it's good. Um, so, yeah, this should be a fun episode. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Uh, this, is, uh, this is an episode where I'm glad we end the episode with the Dodgers Rewind and the questions from Craig. So, well, we'll still, despite uh, current events not giving us much happiness to talk about, we'll end on a happy note. And we dig ourselves a hole and then we climb out of it. Yeah, we, we, we dig up stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly what that's, that should be the new name in the I'm going to just get a Simpsons reference <laughs> in every opening here on out. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to do all of that after this. All right, Eric, do we have a labor crisis in baseball today? <laughs> um, even though you told me what to say, no. Um, <laughs> I'm going to yes. tell their I mean, walkout. I'm going to open. We, 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 I think we, we do. Because of uh, because of some bad actors, so or a bad actor or thirty one bad yeah. actors, I don't know exactly, but uh, yeah, it doesn't seem good. So I pointed out how I had forgotten exactly where we left off last episode, and it, we ended up um, recording right before the owners started down this like path of cartoon villainy. Um, or at least like Rob Manfred style or like his part in it. Um, Cause he's the sort of conduit and um, of everything. So first um, we last recorded uh, two weeks ago on February 2nd. And then like, I think two days later was when uh, the owners requested um, to it's, it's federal mediation. I don't remember. I don't think it's the National Labor Relations Board, but it's something like that, right? So they they request federal mediation to come in and, hey, help us get to a deal. And meanwhile, this is after owners who locked out the players only made one offer since locking out the players in 64 days to, to this point, to, to the point when they requested federal mediation. Now, it's nothing binding. It's more like bringing in someone to sort of help things along, but it's usually, I guess it usually comes at a point when there's been actual negotiation and it doesn't seem like that's been the case much, especially for the players, uh, from the owner side, excuse me. Um, so the players union would have to agree to the mediation for it to happen. And they said, no, I mean, for lack of a better term, they said, hell no, um, because mostly, like earlier in the week, um, after a player's uh, offer, the owner said, yeah, we're going to counter. And then they instead said, no, we're not going to counter. Then they asked for federal mediation. So, like, they're not even a participant at this point, it seems like, like, effectively. So, that's where the frustration sort of comes in. Um, Alex Wood uh, has been pretty outspoken on Twitter on some of this stuff. He said, um, you know, bringing in a mediator is going to like bring in someone who doesn't know exactly what we're like dealing with. So all it does is delay the process. Um, it's going to take like a couple weeks to, to, for them to even get to the point where they sort of are already are. Um, so like, it really is just a delay. And it seems like um, that was also seen as more of a PR move from owners 
because then they could say, well, we, you know, look, we want to get this deal done. We asked for federal mediation and the players said they don't want it. So like, but like, it seems so obvious that that's what they're doing, but it, on some level it probably works to a certain percentage, but like, who are you trying to win over? I guess is the point. Like you still have to get a deal done eventually. So then uh, after this happened, uh, the next week they had the owners meetings in Orlando. I think it was like three days, maybe four. Um, then at the end of that, on a, I think that Thursday, Rob Manfred had a press conference, which is rare. He has not spoken much since, lockout this might have been the first time like publicly um he had this sort of long uh, press conference and he was i would say combative in a lot of it um but one of the things he said was like owning a, a major league baseball team is less profitable than the stock market um that's been just just a app that's a lie right like it's just been proven demonstrably false there were like articles in like the previous week even mentioning this fact with actual numbers. Um, and so, and for him to just come out and say that, it's like, all right, you you must think people are stupid, right? Like to just say stuff like this. But there are other stuff, um, you know, during the um, Q&A, he said, or no, I think this was just in his opening statement. He said, uh, uh, we have proposed an agreement that is better in every respect than the expired contract, which... Sort of like it's it's one of the I think Craig Goldstein put this the best. Um, I don't remember if this was at in something he wrote at Baseball Perspectives or if it was on a podcast, but he said it's it's technically correct but still a lie, <laughs> like uh, in a, in a weird way. Like so, for instance, in some cases the uh, competitive balance tax, uh, the thresholds that are offered by Major League Baseball are still like comically low. Like last year it was two hundred ten million which is essentially treated like a cap by most teams. I know the Dodgers blew past it. The Padres barely went over. But like even the teams like the Yankees, they didn't want to go over for fear of paying the tax. But uh, I think the initial – so the offer right now the, for the players is $214 million for the first two years, uh, which is just a very small incremental upgrade. And then it goes up to like $222 million in the in year five of the deal. That's like barely any movement, especially given where revenues have been in the sport. But also, it's not like the same because the tax rates that come along with those new the new um, thresholds are much higher um, than the, the existing rates. So, like I believe the tax structure now for like a first time uh, team going over. Uh, starts at 50%, goes up to 75% for 20 million over, and then 100% for 40 million over. The Dodgers were in that largest bucket. As of now, 50% is the is the largest tier, and it starts at 20%. So there's already more punitive damage. So like while he's saying this is a better deal, um, it's that kind of thing where technically the the thresholds did go up, but they come with a higher cost and teams are hesitant to pay that kind of stuff, which, which is essentially makes it a cap. The other sort of sticking point, um, Manfred, um, he talked up, uh, the, like they were going to owners were going to make an offer over the weekend. And then it, it was kind of a dud, um, including the, the CBT stuff. The, I think the change in the owner's offer in this case was adding 2 million to the, the final three years, of the threshold, which is, you know, very small, uh, a very small movement. 
on the minimum salary, the players union has wanted 775,000 as a minimum. Last year was 570,500. That is a big jump, yes, but um again, also in line with like revenues of the sport, there's the player stated goal is to get younger players played more. I believe uh, Travis Sachik at the score has written about this. Associated Press had this. The last like month of the season, um, something like 70, two-thirds to 70% of uh, players were making under a million dollars. So you're really like um, trying to get those players paid. Um, and then just it sort of brings up everyone in a sense. But – the, what the owners have offered, so they started out, I believe, in December. Their minimum salary was at 600000 So they have a couple offers currently. They have a like a, a tiered system for players with zero, one, or two years of service time. Right now it starts at 615000 but at a, f- a flat rate uh, with no increases. So like that's not really currently how it, it's, it's worked like ever. Uh, like last year, the... the uh, minimum salary is 570,500. Zach McKinstry, uh, who had like a cup of coffee the year before, he was at 573,000. Uh, Matt Beatty, Will Smith, they had a, uh, they were just over a year of service time. They made 590,500. So under MLB system, they have this sort of modest increase in the minimum salary, but also teams can't like stray from that. They say, they can't say like, okay, you we're going to give you a little bit of a raise here because you had a good year or, you know, whatever. Um, so that's kind of, it's, it seems like every, everything MLB offers seems to come with like a catch that costs more like in a, in a weird way or limits something. Um, the other owner offer is, um, a flat 630,000 that doesn't include, um, uh, it's not flat. Excuse me. It, I said flat twice. Uh, it's 630,000 with the possibility of having raises now, but that also doesn't have the tiers um, for, you know, players with one and two years of service time. But, you know, may, that's something. The, the, the frustrating thing about all this, I think, is that what the um, what the two sides are sort of arguing about uh, there's not real structural change here, except like the main, it seems like the main structural change is going to be the expanded playoffs. So, like right now, the owners want 14 teams instead of 10. The players, I believe in their uh, most recent offer offered 12. So they're willing to move. But outside of that, there's not a lot of like actual change. It's going to be mostly the same system as just figuring out the money. And I, I think, they, that they're still far apart on some of the money. There's also like the bonus pool stuff. It just seems like they're um, they're arguing to argue at this point and being super stubborn. Now, does that mean as a deadline approaches, they might be closer to a deal? Like, who knows? But like, then it, it sort of took a turn even further <laughs> um, earlier this week after sort of MLB's latest offer came in. Actually, just right before that. So last Friday, while all this labor talk is going on, there's also a, uh, a current lawsuit um, that it's a class action suit uh, basically calling for minor leaguers to be paid more. I think Garrett Brocious is um, one of the 
lawyers, former minor league pitcher um, is, is sort of part of that. Evan Drellick of The Athletic had this article. This is what um, uh, a lawyer for Major League Baseball said under oath, or I mean, you know, in, in, in this lawsuit. Uh, quote, it is the players that obtain greater benefit from the training opportunities that they are afforded than the clubs who actually just incur the cost of having to provide that training. I forgot to mention, um, this is about um, owners saying uh, minor league players, minor league players don't get paid during spring training right now, right? So they um, they already get like substandard wages um, and they don't get paid during spring training and they're saying, Hey, you know, they should because we're doing a job and this, and then the other part of this, um, what the, what the uh, MLB hired an expert, I believe that said um, the, the players actually receive a value of $2,200 a week, which is what they would pay like in the outside world to receive this training, which is just like, just an absolute slap in the face. Like uh, there's a lot of minor league players uh, who are like saying this is ridiculous and a lot of people offering their thoughts, obviously. Then there was another turn uh, in that offer in the labor offer to the players. Again, this is one of those things where something the um, owners offered came with a, uh, a catch, like we'll do this. If you do this, that kind of a thing that always seems to out sort of outstrip the, any sort of gains that the players might get. But so the players wanted to limit the number of times a player could be optioned in one season. The way option years work, you get three option years, but during one year you can be sent down theoretically unlimited in practice. Like there's, you know, you have to, uh, you can only do it so many times. It just from a calendar standpoint, but like Mitch white last year, he was optioned counting spring training to, uh, he was optioned 11 times. Uh, Edwin Uceta was option eight times. Luke Rayleigh was seven. I think the players, what the players wanted uh, was to limit uh, options to four in a single season. Um, the Rays are also, I mean, the Dodgers aren't alone in this. The, a lot of teams do it. It's just sort of the nature of the business. Um, and the Rays do it as well. Uh, the, a lot of teams do. But uh, so they wanted to limit to four. The owner said, their offer said, we're going to, we can limit it to five. But as a condition, um, this is contingent upon the players union granting the right to major league baseball for them to reduce the domestic reserve limit, uh, beginning as early as 2023. This is the number of players, team, any one organization can have in the minors, uh, at the top four domestic levels, I believe plus rookie ball, I believe. Yeah. And so, uh, it's just, it seems like Jeff Passan had a story sort of detailing this. It looks like the the current limit is 180 players. Um, Jeff Passan of ESPN reported MLB wants to eventually uh, limit it to something below 150. Um, so it's just like a further cutting of costs in the minors. This is sort of a continuation. They had the um, – uh, you know, teams, what did they cut? Uh, 42 teams before the 2021 season. So we're down to 120 teams in the affiliated minors. It's four per team plus the rookie, um, the complex leagues basically that are at the teams like um, spring training facilities. But um, it's it, for them to eventually like cut even further into those teams. That's like more of a longer term play because all the 120 teams that, um, are still around like they signed 10 year 
um, affiliate agreements through 2030. So this is more of a long-term play, but I think it's um, Eugene Friedman, who's a labor lawyer who usually has a lot of uh, great um, information in, in, in like just in the process of labor negotiations, basically, and specifically like how the reporting of it um, often gets a lot of stuff wrong. Um, but he, he noted, he was sort of, he admitted this was a cynical take. I'm, he had a long thread, I'll link to it in the show notes, but this is one specific tweet that sort of summarizes his thought on this. Um, a collective bargaining agreement is an automatic exemption from the antitrust laws. Unions and employees are free to negotiate things that violate antitrust laws, and that's okay. If the union agrees to limit the number of players entering the profession, it provides legal cover. Uh, further in the thread, he sort of explained that basically this is a way for MLB to get the players union, if they were to agree, uh, for them to have this power to limit the number of uh, minor league players. And then that way, when they go to cut more teams, they could say, well, we have the right to do this. And they wouldn't get sued. Like I think there's some minor league teams that are currently trying to sue um, Major League Baseball. So, like, I think they're trying to, you know, his his view is that they're trying to cover for future lawsuits, which is like a very long term and very cynical play. But you sort of it makes sense given everything that they've done. I'll just point out that J.J. Cooper, a Baseball American, noted. He said last year um, a lot of orgs were running out of pitchers, especially earlier in the season, use, even with the 180 limit. So even going to 150 would be – it's further taxing on everything. So it, it would be a problem. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of where we're at. Um, so pitchers and catchers, they were support supposed to report to spring training this week. Uh, no one really had an official dates. I know some were probably going to report yesterday on, on Tuesday the 15th. We're recording this on the 16th. Um, that hasn't happened yet, but at the same time, no one's like officially from major league baseball said spring training is delayed. Mostly I think because no games have started yet. Like the 26th, I think is when spring games start. Maybe it gets more official then, but so, um, part of the MLB sort of discussion over the weekend with the players union was like MLB saying like, here's sort of a calendar of where we're at and uh, what sort of needs to happen for us to get a deal done. And um, in the owners meetings uh, press conference, Rod Manfred did say like, I think he mentioned um, they prefer to have like a spring training. That's about four weeks. And then he mentioned, you know, once a deal is agreed on probably takes a few days to get ratified. So like factoring that in and backing in, um, owners and players would probably have to agree to terms by the end of February for opening day to happen by Mar- March 31st, which is the, uh, you know, current scheduled date. Uh, so that's less than two weeks away. It seems very, very unlikely that's going to happen. Uh, but you never know, like usually deadlines, um, cause actions. So like th- that's, we're just sort of in wait and see mode, um, Speaking of so, see your nice yeah. bet as the over-under of May 1st. Yeah. How you feeling? No. Oh, exactly. Yeah, because, yeah, right. Because I have April 1st, you have June 1st. Yeah. Um, I'm, I feel less confident than I have been previously. I still think, I still like my side that sure. I, I think, like, but I think it's more and more likely that we'll miss at least something of the regular season. Like, either in a in a a, del, a slight delay or 
just a straight up lopping off like the first two weeks or something like that. Got it. Um, so yeah, it's 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 just super annoying right now. Hey, but speaking of super annoying, um, there's no good transition here. Uh, just sort of catching up with some of the news that happened um, since we last recorded in the last two weeks. Um, on February 8th, um, the uh, L.A. County um, District Attorney, uh, they closed the investigation, uh, the criminal investigation into Trevor Bauer without pressing charges. Uh, the statement from the DA, this is, uh, I got this from James Wagner of the New York Times, quote, after a thorough review of all the available evidence, including the civil restraining order proceedings, witness statements and the physical evidence, the people are unable to prove the relevant charges beyond a reasonable doubt. Bauer in a seven minute video, um, as you might imagine, you know, claimed this as a victory and proclaimed his innocence. And now there's still MLB, you know, they didn't really comment. They, they issued like a statement, but it wasn't, it was more of a, (laughs) we're not commenting statement than anything. Um, because they're still investigating him now under the, um, the joint uh, policy on domestic violence and sexual assault that that's agreed to by owners and players that was in the last collective bargain agreement. Um, now it's unexpected. He's anything's going to happen until they reach a new agreement, mostly because that was under the old um, CBA. So like, I think it would take the new CBA being in process before major league baseball does anything with Bauer uh, just yet. But the fact is he still could be suspended um, it's not required uh, a criminal conviction or ch- I mean criminal charge or conviction is not required to be suspended. There are specific definitions in the um, in the policy that um, majorly uh, that if if sort of if their investigation finds this and based on court records it, it might or might not but it's it's still expected he's gonna get suspended in some way and so, Every other suspension, I think Bill Shaken has written about this a few times, um, it comes, the player essentially agrees to us, like a um, the suspension from Major League Baseball before it gets announced. Um, in this case, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that smooth. Um, so I think Ken Rosenthal uh, wrote something. He was just sort of, it was more of a Twitter, like, question and answer type thing where he was saying, yes, MLB can still suspend Bauer, um, you know, based on the policy and all this. And Rachel Luba quote tweeted that this is Trevor Bauer's agent on February 10th quote from her. um, It violates the policy only if Manfred is now regulating what two consenting adults can and can't do in bed. As a grown woman, I find it deeply concerning that a middle-aged man could now tell any woman sleeping with a player, what type of sex she can and can't decide to have in a bedroom. So they're they're gonna fight anything that sort of MLB does. So that just means it, it's he's still in limbo, right? Like so, you don't know if or how long he's gonna get suspended. But would imagine he's if he's gonna get suspended, he already missed the last eighty-one games of last year on administrative leave. That's probably gonna count as time served toward any suspension. So him being eligible to pitch. Uh, is probably going to happen some point early in 2022, if not like, you know, relatively right away, who knows that's assuming that's after like any sort of appeals process, you know, you have to factor all that in. Uh, but again, with the Dodgers, uh, they have not said anything um, mostly because 
Uh, they just cite the ongoing investigation. They don't want to say anything publicly either way. I'll say they did, you know, obviously remove all likenesses of Bauer um, from Dodger Stadium. Um, they stopped selling his jerseys and shirts and stuff like that while he was on the restricted list. Now, you know, was that just a, like covering their ass moment or, or you know, it, I don't think it necessarily tilts the hand either way in like how they would respond. Um, now, I will just say this because, I, like I said, I don't know. We're, it's all just sort of guesswork. I will just point out a few things that other Reporters have noted uh, Jorge Castillo uh, from the LA Times um, in December. He wrote, uh, quote, uh, the Dodgers are already working under the premise that Trevor Bauer will never pitch for them again. Bill Shakin also in the LA Times in February. This was after the um, the DA decided not to press criminal charges. Um, Major League sources consider uh, the Dodgers welcoming back Bauer unlikely. Um, Jeff Passan also, uh, after also this month from ESPN, um, this is him describing the sort of Dodgers Bauer dynamic right now, uh, quote, there was a distinct pocket of veterans on the team who didn't want Bauer anywhere near them again. There was also a group of players who would have welcomed Bauer back. The players were not unanimous in their judgment, but if there's ever, uh, ever there's a point at which Bauer tries to return, those in opposition are likely to make their voices heard louder than the rest. So all that's to say, we, we still don't really know much. So the one thing that it seems clear is that if the Dodgers decide to just move on from Bauer, uh, it, it would it would take a huge fight if they just decide, like, let's say Bauer gets suspended. This is theoretically, obviously, if Bauer gets suspended and then they could say, look, we, we're, we don't want anything to do with you now because of the suspension. Um... And we're not going to pay your contract. Like that would trigger another fight, um, you know, based on you know it's guaranteed contract and all this. So I think if it if it comes down to it, and the Dodgers don't want to part ways for it, they're still going to be on the hook for the contract, which is thirty two million for each of the next two years, um, less anything that would get like sort of reduced uh, in a suspension. He was paid on administrative leave last year, so. If he gets suspended, you would imagine there would be some sort of a, um, a credit there. Um, I don't know, but that's that's where we're at. So who knows what the Dodgers are going to do? It's still in limbo, and it's all sort of everything's in further limbo while labor negotiations are going on. So that's all we know. Um, there's not a lot of good news uh, like in the last couple weeks. It's all it's just really this annoying cauldron of crap. Um, so yeah, we're and also spring training is not starting. So in light of that, uh, th- there's no easy way to transition here. Yeah, uh, just so real, just, real quick before yeah. we move on, I just I want to credit uh, of uh, Bill Blaschke, who has been really consistent beating the drum of why haven't the Dodgers commented? Uh, why do they continue to hide behind the investigation going forward? They sh- it, this is a clear cut case where this. Uh, pitching uh, be, being a w- extremely well-paid celebratory uh, athlete where yes, you're getting paid to pitch, but you're also being paid to represent a team, a city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, is a privilege, not a right. Um, and regardless of a court of law, the, he already had a troubled background to begin with that we've talked about ad nauseum and now two serious allegations have been made this should be cut and dry say you're done with him and allow fans who are kind of held in suspense of who 
could not root f- at the very least for Trevor Bauer and possibly the team as long as he's associated with it and maybe even longer they attempted to bring him back um and Bill Plaschke has written like at least two and probably more um pieces to to that level of of calling them out and um just wanted to point out that consistency and how much I've appreciated that yeah and I think the lot the latest one came like the day after the 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 no charges yeah. from the DA came so like yeah it was concurrent with that so I'll link to that uh, as well in the show notes but like we said um you know spring training not happening right now it did happen last year uh so I will I will hearken back to a time when we had spring training um and just ask you not related to anything we've talked about at all um who led the Dodgers in hits during spring training in 2021 I'll answer after this who led the Dodgers in hits last uh, last year in spring training? Uh, I, I'll, I'm going to throw out a couple guesses and then tap out. We we you know, last year near I can't remember if we did it at the very end of spring training or just near the end. Um, but I I was asked this question <laughs> and we uh, yeah. we had something like um, there was a, a longer discussion if I remember right that I was going through some previous years like um because just because there were some like some years where it's like there were some obscure stuff and so i will not give it any sort of unless you want a hint if you no, want a hint no, I can give i've it. got okay. two guesses and uh yep. we'll go from there justin turner uh justin turner was sixth okay. uh, in hits last year he was he had 13 13 for 46 dj peters uh i will say no but DJ, <laughs> DJ, I was gonna because I, I was looking at something else up too. Um, DJ Peters did lead the Dodgers in games played uh, during spring training. Twenty three, uh, the person who led the league in hits, uh, led the Dodgers in hits. Excuse me, uh, played twenty two games. I will say that. Okay. Nope. Tapping out. Those were my two guesses. Corey Seager, oh. um, eighteen hits. Uh, That's right. Slipped. I'm remembering this now. He he slugged eight twenty seven during the spring, so led the team in. You, you know, I remembered it was a former Dodger, current Ranger, and it just got exactly. t- tossed up. But <laughs> or, uh, not yeah, a current Ranger, did he one get time released? Ranger? Yeah, yeah. He, no, he went to uh, he went to the KBO. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Corey Seager also eight home runs, sixteen RBIs, fourteen runs. He he sort of led the Dodgers across the board. In Kudos to Rangers fans. I don't know if you follow this at all, but they really harped on the uh, DJ Peters looks like the Winter Soldier thing. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen the comparison pictures. I'll have to send send them I, to you. I have not seen them. Oh, I, oh. I I know va- I know that the Winter Sol- Soldier is in the Marvel universe and that's it. That's all I know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll send you a picture and you can you can be the judge for yourself. Uh hey, you got a Dodgers rewind for us? I do. Um so yeah, uh Bobby Darwin um is the person we're going to talk about this week. Uh so he was a uh, star um sort of all-around player at uh, Jordan High School in Watts in LA. Uh, signed by the Angels in 1962 when they played uh, in Los Angeles. That was their second year. Um, So they ended up calling him up, um, and he he made his Major League debut on the last day of the season. Uh, He was 19. It was the uh, final game of the season, the last uh, second game of a doubleheader. They were at Cleveland. 
he he got roughed up a little bit. He did strike out six, but he also walked four. He allowed six runs. Four of them were earned. He took the loss. He pitched three and a third innings. His catcher that day in in the second game of a doubleheader, Ed Ed Kirkpatrick, was also making his major league debut, and he wasn't even 18 yet. He was still 17. So that is a remarkably young battery. And come to think of it, I'm now I'm mad that I'm not asking you a question about like youngest batteries in major league history because that would have taken a long time to look up. (laughs) But um, um. The next, so I, you learn something about like transaction rules all the time. Next May, um, the Orioles um, drafted Darwin from the Angels on something called first year waivers. <laughs> Just like, nope, he's ours. Like uh, during the season. Um, so, and he spent a long time in the minors after that. Um, didn't get back to the majors again for a few years. In the Baltimore system, uh, just sort of moving around, uh, he was managed one year by Earl Weaver, another by Cal Ripken Sr. Um, He had elbow surgery in 1966 that limited his time on the mound, but during that season while he was rehabbing, he played as an outfielder. Uh, He he did, you know, everything in high school, so they sort of, they liked what they saw, um, but they didn't do much with it. Like in, in Baltimore, it was more like just while he was rehabbing. So during his off seasons, uh, back in Los Angeles, uh, Bobby Darwin drove a tow truck um, because you know back then, especially minor, minor leaguers now don't get paid anything, but like especially then they didn't get paid anything, um, and so they had to make ends meet. And so one day, nineteen sixty eight in November, um, he was called to the scene of an accident uh, involving Dodgers GM Al Campanis, who called AAA. And he was a, a tow truck driver for the, like, you know, the AAA affiliate or whatever uh, nearby. And I, I saw one of the worst leads I've ever seen um, in a in a story. This is about, again, um, Bobby Darwin and Al Campanis and the Dodgers. And this is from Milton Richmond, uh, the UPI. Uh the lady in the small car was about to make a left turn, and any time you get a dandy combination like that, you know it means trouble. Nearly $900 worth in this case. So in a story about that, he, he takes time to start the piece with, like, lady drivers, am I right? <laughs> and, and so um, now as I was looking at stuff on this up, uh, there was another story from the Long Beach Independent. The writer of that story was Fred Clare. Uh, the future Dodgers GM. He was also their longtime PR man. Um, Darwin said, uh, I recognize Mr. Campanis when I arrived with the tow truck, and I kind of jokingly mentioned that I always wanted to play for the Dodgers. I saw another thing where he said, um, Darwin said uh, he had wanted to just stay in Los Angeles when uh, coming out of high school, the draft hadn't been instituted yet. So he was looking to sign with them, and I think the Angels offered uh, more money just generally like than other teams. Um, so that's why he signed with them. Uh, but then, so this is, um, November of 1968, the Orioles left Darwin unprotected that winter and he was taken by the Dodgers in the rule five draft. So, uh, he played in the winter leagues, uh, during this, this time, like, you know, just about every, every winter, he credits a few Dodgers sort of helping him, um, to like convert to the outfield full time eventually. 
This is from Darwin's Saber bio. It was written by Ryan O'Connor and Paul Motika. Um, Tommy Lasorda managed uh, Darwin in 1969. This is Darwin from that uh, Saber bio. He starts saying to me, hey, what about giving up this pitching thing and trying to hit? Darwin remembered. Uh, I said, I don't want to do that. But he approached me again. He said, I'm serious. You've got a good swing. You're strong. You're athletic. I think you should try it. And I thought, maybe I should. So this was at like near the end of the 1969 season. Then he goes to the Winter League uh, in 19 that offseason and was managed by Maury Wills in Hermosillo uh, in the Mexican Winter League. This is uh, from the Associated Press. Uh, a few years later, Darwin, looking back on that, he said about Wills, He taught me how to make contact consistently. I always thought of myself as a better pitcher than a hitter, but I guess I might have been wrong. So he basically, at this point, um, uh, 1970, switched full-time to outfield. He hit 23 home runs at Class A Bakersfield. Then he hit 17 home runs the next year at AAA Spokane. He was called up back to the majors in 1971. Uh, just He had pitched a couple years earlier, like in a few games for the Dodgers. And then, um, but this, he got his way back as a, an outfielder. Um, September 1971, he, it was just before he turned 29. Um, he was five for 20 with a home run. But then, uh, like, he, he didn't really last long as a player uh, with the Dodgers. They, they treated him that October to the Twins for Paul Powell. Uh, Paul Powell, who was notable because when you go to his baseball reference page, it says um, center fielder, pinch runner, and catcher, which is just a wonderful combo. Uh, he played parts of three seasons in the majors. The center field part comes from his like first year with the Twins. And then in his two years with the Dodgers, he started twice, uh, once at catcher and once in left field. Um, but yeah, so that's that's him. But Bobby Darwin like took off. Uh, he, he got regular playing time. With the Twins, uh, he had 110 OPS plus in those first three years with Minnesota. He hit 65 home runs. He also led the American League in strikeouts all three seasons, including leading the majors in 1972. But, like, it just seems remarkable to me. A guy who, like, didn't – he wasn't even a regular outfielder in the minors till age 27. And then he ended up playing um, for the Brewers uh, after the – the Dodgers and um, Twins. He ended up playing for the Brewers, Red Sox, and Cubs. He finished with a career 104 OPS plus in 2,436 plate appearances. So that's amazing considering he was a pitcher, like, you know, coming up. So, uh, but after that, uh, he became a scout for the Dodgers in 1983. He was with the club over 30 years. Um, He was at the 2018 draft as like along with Tommy Lasorda as like the Dodgers, you know, club representatives or whatever. I think those are tend to be more ceremonial than anything, but the fact that he was a scout was cool. Um, So I'm not sure exactly the total number of major league, future major leaguers he signed, but some of the ones listed in the Sabre bio, uh, Brian Barton, Nick Buss, Chili Buss, as he was known, uh, Kyle Garlic. So he just signs food guys, basically. No, uh, James McDonald, uh, Trevor Oaks, Trayvon Robinson, and Zach Chanel, who I don't remember him. But yeah, so, but then uh, Dan Evans, former Dodgers general manager on Twitter. I believe this came up because uh, Saber Bio like uh, tweeted out like just a link to his biography. And Dan Evans quote tweeted it with this. I think this is how he sort of came to my attention, or at least to do it for this. Uh, Dan Evans said, such an outstanding person. I love working together. 
uh, with the Dodgers. Always a high-quality representative of the organization and a hell of an evaluator. So, yeah. Um, oh, so, when Darwin was with the Dodgers, as a pitcher in 1969, he pitched in three games in relief. He walked five batters in his three and two-thirds innings uh, and with no strikeouts. He's tied for the fifth most walks among all-time Dodgers that didn't strike out anybody. You're not going to get the the play the four players ahead of him. Wow. So I'm just going to ask. No confidence. What's what's the number of walks for the number one player on the list? Oh, number of walks. Um, yeah. Uh, for some reason, I had I was going to give you innings, and I don't know why. Uh, but you know what? I'll go. <laughs> Uh, with the the same number I was gonna go with. Let's go with. Oh man, that might be high. Thirteen. Wow, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> so the, I was gonna say thirteen point one innings, but I don't know what the innings would have been. I like most so innings. I will tell you, yeah, I don't know. I will tell you this player, uh, the pitcher, uh, pitched in eighteen ninety eight oh. and eighteen ninety nine. Do you want to take a, a guess at what his name is? No. Um, I'm gonna. I'm looking to see what is. Gi- Whoa, that's his actual given name. Okay, <laughs> welcome Gaston. <laughs> and and his full name is listed as Welcome Thornburg Gaston. Oh man, that's wonderful. Um, he had pitched 19 innings, walked 13. Um, Chris Hahi in 1943, 10 walks in seven innings, um, no strikeouts. Walt Miller 1911, six walks. Elmer Horton. 1898, six walks. Um, yeah, so that's where we're at. You, you, you nailed it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm an expert. It comes that's to Dodgers trivia. Welcome. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a Disneyland party for new cast member. All right. You know, you know what it's time for. I have an idea. Do you, well, do you want to take a guess? Don't because we have a theme song. Because it's time for. With Jens and Craig We love them Alright, we're going to start off we with love it. trivia for you This is uh, the first of many trivia questions Centered on the 60th anniversary of Dodger Stadium Opening in 1962 Eight opposing players have hit oh, between 20 and 29 home runs uh, In their careers at Dodger Stadium so more than 20, but the number one is 29, just to make that clear. <laughs> yeah. All right. That'd be funny. There's like some that are above it, but you don't need to name this. Uh, it's like the middle, the middle 50, 50 to 60 or whatever. Yeah. Can Eric name these feared sluggers? I have some hints um, if you need. So just off the bat, I'm going to start off with um, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. Uh, uh, Henry Aaron had 22 with... Uh, no on Mays, uh, not even wow. in the top twenty-five. Wow! Yeah, best player of all time. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, wow. That's. I don't. That's I don't have a link shocking. to the baseball reference lookup, so I can't. Uh, so numbers. let me let me think about this further. Um, well, you let's do. Let's go. Let, let's go with Willie McCovey. Uh, going back. Uh, no. Also. Not in this top twenty-five. All right, top twenty-five. Um, so, uh, so Barry Bonds. Uh, yeah, is number one with twenty-nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, like, 
I, my brain is not like functioning properly. Oh, let's say, um, huh. what about uh, Mike Schmidt? Uh, Mike Schmidt is fourth on the list with 22. Uh, there's a three-way tie for uh, Hank Aaron, uh, Mike Schmidt, and one other player for three through fifth. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Willie Mays had 11 home runs at Dodger Stadium. 11. Wow. Um, this is troubling. Um, let, just because of the funny uh, quote, Dave Kingman. Uh, Dave Kingman is number eight on the list with 20, and that was one of your hints, uh, the memorable Lasorda rant. Yeah. Um, three in one game. Um, whew. The, I don't I don't know what how many have I named four three you have named Barry Bonds uh, Henry Aaron uh, Mike Schmidt and Dave Kingman so four you've got four down four to go okay um, you are missing one Hall of Famer that's the last hint Craig had for you all right um, just thinking um, stalling. As we go, uh, wait, bef- not the Hall of Famer, but Dale Murphy. Uh, Dale Murphy uh, is tied with Hank Aaron and Mike Schmidt for 22. Uh, and um, uh, McCovey was, is in my top 25 list, but was is not mm. in the top eight. He had hit yeah. 17 home runs at Dodgers. Ah, I knew it. No, um, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> so you're missing wow. number two on this list. You are missing mm. number six and seven. Okay. Um, well, let's just say because of the sheer number, uh, Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa is not in the top eight. Fifteen with sixteen mm. home runs. So the, I was trying to sort of straddle the the line of like, you know, someone who was like I was, that's what led me to Dale Murphy. The mm-hmm. in the NL West for a while you know when it was like a small number of teams but i will i'll give uh, you a hint as the hall of famer you're missing is well associated with home runs in dodger stadium huh wow i um that's a problem um well associated with home runs in dodger stadium i think i phrased that nicely um I, the funny part is, like, my I don't know why my head went to Matt Stairs, even though he's not. <laughs> oh, wow, it's wow, like, wow, yeah. Um, if you had to guess who's hit the furthest home runs in Dodger Stadium, is there a name that would come? Oh, <laughs> all right. So like Willie Stargell. Willie Stargell hit twenty-one. So you're missing number so, two on the list, and you're mm-hmm. missing number seven. So I. Two played just, primarily in the seventies. And seven yeah. played primarily um, in the nineties and aughts. Ugh. So he played so often in the other. What What about Gary Sheffield? Uh, nope. Um. Okay. So, oh, seventies home run here. Um, not Hall of Famer. So George Foster. There you go. Correct number um, two. So you're missing just number I, seven. I, I'm gonna. I'm tapping out on that because I'm. I'm former Dodger. My mind can't I think, think of. Uh, sorry, I was about to say former Dodger. I think the one of the very few on this that I can say that with. Uh, Luis Gonzalez. Oh, hit twenty. Nice. 
So there you go. You ready to name more visiting players? Good. Six visiting players yeah. hit between four and six career triples <laughs> at Dodger Stadium. Who are these six players? Just kidding. We're not going to give you. We're going to give you two. Uh, you don't need to name uh, uh, Julian Javier or Johnny Callison, who he hit four. Um. <laughs> uh, your hints are two Hall of Famers, one former Dodger, and should be Hall of Famer, uh, and a one-time Eric, all-time Eric nemesis. Oh, so Willie McGee, obviously. <laughs> Correct. Hit, hit four. It is one. Uh, and then, so what about uh, Ozzie Smith? Nope. Hall of Famer with triples. Um, let's go Let's go back to the well and say Willie Mays. Nope. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know that um, the Hall of Famers uh, are the two that have six career triples. Really? Um Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan had six. Um, good lord. Um, <laughs> just not a fan. Not a fan <laughs> of this question. Um, yeah, I don't know why I'm I'm not thinking of of triples. Um, this is so weird. Um, the Hall of Famer part is 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 one that's really. Tripping me up and making me think, um, uh, it's such a weird thing. Uh, let's go, let's just say Tony Gwynn. Nope. I'll let you know that the should be Hall of Famer did get a lot of talk. Uh, he should have been a Hall of Famer very recently. Uh, Kenny Lofton? Nope. Yeah, I, I'm tapping out. I, I got no You got it. You right got now. it. Uh, Dick Allen and Andre Dawson. Ah, all right. Nice. Moving down. 11 opponents have hit between 20 and 28 doubles at Chavez Ravine. Can Eric, man, naming opposing players is so mean. You did great on this uh, two weeks ago, though. Uh, so I believe in you. Can Eric name these players who often eased uh, in the second base? Man, you have 11 players you got to name. I'm going to give you three strikes. Well, this is how we're going to do this one, just to make you fine. not suffer. Yeah. You get three I, strikes, start, and we're going to see how many you can name. I'm going to start naming um, yep. all of it. So 20 and 20. Um, uh, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays. Mm, Willie Mays, yes. Hank Aaron, no. Willie Mays had um, 20. Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan. Uh, Joe Morgan, yes. Johnny Bench, no. Oh, man. Uh, let's let's stick in the era. Uh, Roberto Clemente. Uh, nope. So there's your ah. three strikes. Uh, Pete Rose leads the list with 28. Ah, I should have went with Pete Rose. Yeah. Uh, Steve Finley with 23. Uh, wow. Matt Williams right. with 23, Tony Perez with 22, uh, Joe Morgan, we mentioned, uh, Cesar Sedanu with 21, Craig Bijou with 21, Tony Gwynn with 20, Billy Williams with 20, and uh, nice. Charlie Blackman with 20. Oh. All right, last question. Five players, five, only have to name five, had 201 or more total bases when they visited, visited Dodger Stadium in their careers. Who are these players? All right. So all of these have been on the list already. All all five of these. Yeah. Uh, so so Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Barry Bonds. Uh, uh, no, no, yes. Uh, Barry Ow. Bonds is number right. two on the list, list with two hundred and twenty. Uh, I'll let you know that uh, Henry Aaron just missed the list. Uh, One ninety six. Um, I keep saying Hank like an idiot. Um, I mean, so how he's commonly known. 
I think of Vince um, Scully, and I always say Henry. <laughs> that's right. Um, I I forgot like the the home run list already. <laughs> like uh, so, I know I'll just say. Um, what about uh, with Joe Morgan then? Yep, uh, two hundred seven hits. Um. So, uh, total bases. Just because of it so long and so many hits, I'm going to go Pete Rose. Number one with 250. Um, I'm, I'm missing one. You are. Um, is it a Hall of Famer? No. Hmm. Dave Kingman? Nope. I don't remember where he was on the list. Um, wait, so doubles. Um what about this player got uh, between nineteen and twenty three percent of the Hall of Fame vote uh, oh, over God. his okay. eligibility? So, man, I don't remember that at all. Um, let's just say I'm going to tell you primarily a brave, and then we'll move on. Primarily a break. Oh, uh, Dale Murphy. There you go. All right. See, that was rough. With the Rams winning the Super Bowl, this 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 question this question has a preamble, so bear with me here. Yeah. Uh, with the Rams winning the Super Bowl, LA completed their titles uh, in the four, four major North American sports: uh, the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. In the last eight years, the only other city area to do that recently is Boston, that has done it twice in slightly shorter spans: six years between 05 and 11, and seven years 08 to 15. Here are the cities uh, slash metro areas where they there have been uh, spans of 37 to 49 years. Note that uh, the San Francisco Bay Area has a slightly shorter span, but the San Jose Sharks have never won a Stanley Cup since their first year in 1991. Uh, New York, uh, Knicks uh, was 1973, uh, the Rangers 94, the Yankees in 09, the Giants in 2012, Philly. Uh, Flyers in 75, uh, the 76ers in 83, the Phillies in 08, and the Eagles in 18. Um, DC, uh, Wizards did it in 78. Uh, the com- <laughs> He's using current names, if that's not obvious by now. The Commanders in 1991, the Caps in 2018, the Nationals in 2019. Chicago uh, did it with the Bears in 85. Uh, the Bulls in 99, the Blackhawks in 2015, and the Cubs in 2016. And then the uh, Northern California slash Bay Area. Uh, Sharks have never done it. Um, uh, I guess they went 91 most recently. 49ers uh, in 94, the Giants in 2014, the Warriors in 2018. Whew. Here's the question. <laughs> Will the LA Kings win another Stanley Cup before the Knicks, Flyers, Wizards, Bears, or Sharks win the respective title? And the additional question, will the Brooklyn Nets win an NBA title before any of these teams win their respective titles? And if that happens, does that count as a New York championship? So I, th- I don't know enough about hockey to say how good the Kings are, or I guess the Flyers, mm-hmm. but it, or and the sharks, I guess. Um, so, I will say the Bears are rough. Um, <laughs> the Wizards don't have any faith that they're going to win. The Knicks are the Knicks. Um, 
I think I would take the Kings in that group winning again before, but it's like a guess, but, but it's I will the field. Say the, I'm going to, I'm taking the, the field, net, I guess. But, but it's just like if those one, two, three, five teams, I guess. Yeah. You always take the field. Yeah. But I, I, I would pick the Kings out of those group, but I think the Nets uh, would, I think they would, they're more, prime to win before any of those teams mm-hmm. um and it would absolutely count as a new york yep. championship agree like that's yeah 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 that, that's no question for the contest with the combined total uh will the combined total of major league innings pitched and played appearances um how do i say ryan Pe- pepiot i've Pepe-o. never actually pepiot pepio pepio no t a little french thing going on Pretty sure. Got it. Good. And Michael Bush be above or below 50 in 2022. Oh, boy. Uh, I think we should do this a little differently. Okay. Um, I think we should use batters faced for, for Pepio just to have it on the same. I think no, he's saying combined I, between the two combined. Right, but like, what are you know what I mean? So, okay, well, yeah, right. Since he set the number, let's keep it at what he said. So, innings pitched for Pepio, played appearances for Bush. Um, I, I think it's definitely below, and I don't, I don't think Bush makes majors. So, um. I'm uh, I'll just leave, I'm taking the over. I'm confident. I've got I've got. Okay. Well, and, <laughs> and this I, is just, the guy just, picking a short season, man. You know, just, you know. Just I I will even give Pepio. I'm going to give him 23 innings. So my uh, number is 23. The, so always bet pick? the field, and whenever Eric thinks a prospect isn't coming up this year, bet against him. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Michael Bush rookie of the year. <laughs> Uh, this might be more of a Jacob question, but let's see. There have been wait, wait. Are you picking a number? Oh, for, for I, I mean, I think it's over. Uh, I wasn't going to. All right, you don't have to. Uh, fifty-three. Uh, this might be more of a Jacob question, but let's see. There have been two seasons of The Mandalorian uh, and The Book of Boba Fett just finished. Those series are set between The Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Now there. Uh, is the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which is between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. My question, what do you think of the storyline set in existing canon, or would you prefer in particular the Star Wars, stories that don't involve known characters and time frames? So we'll start there. You've got a follow-up after this. Um, I don't care about any of them. I have wow. not seen... I have not seen any of these series. Wow, man! Uh, you just hit, you hate I've fun. seen all. I've seen all nine movies, and that's that's about it. Okay, uh, this is de- then. This is more of a Jacob version, yeah. as I have seen them all, uh, and I think all of the all of the main animated series uh, as well. Uh, mm. I don't mind it as much in Star Wars, just because so often I prefer something like The Mandalorian, where even if it's in a set time frame, there's so many. Uh, characters that can kind of be explored on um, and you can work on with kind of more smaller micro stakes stories. Uh, It really bothers me. I know this wasn't the question in Star Trek. I'm really tired of prequels in the Star Trek universe and I'm looking forward to 
essentially the next next generation um and hopefully we get that because cbs paramount keeps churning them out all right eric this is the follow-up although you did kind of answer the first part of this please have you watched any of this and i'm guessing here (laughs) does perhaps your less attachment to can it make it just a fun watch you you we're gonna have to ask you watch the mandalorian and then you can answer Mm. this question i'm definitely not watching boba fett because boba fett's lame like the character (laughs) just lame um so i'm never watching that um yeah i mandalorian has baby yoda so i guess but like i don't know i i I don't mind jumping into something like i watched one i watched and enjoyed wandavision Mm -hmm. without knowing anything about any of the characters in the movie going in so like it was fine um but yeah i'm just not um the obi-wan thing eh but like I, I I did want I I wanted that to be called It's Ben, so you could use the bare naked ladies um, It's Ben like um, as the theme song. But uh, that's all I got. Growing up, my family sometimes made the classic shish kebab, meat and veggies, usually green bell pepper, onion on a metal skewer. Yep. Later, uh, my friends went uh, to a place in West LA called Nadbantkin or Yakitori, which are skewered meat and vegetables on wooden skewers, which is a place I'd love to go, uh, with both of you at some point. Skewers are used for lots of different styles of queen. Do either of you have a favorites? I'm guessing maybe Jacob had some in Japan. You are correct. It is, uh, various Yakitori's, et cetera, are everywhere and they are cheap and they are delicious. Um, the first place I ate at when I got to Japan was um, an isekaya Japanese uh, pub bar uh, right by our hotel. And um, I, the style was just you kind of ordered food and drink whenever you needed something. It wasn't this one-time thing. So we just got had beers on demand and yakitori on demand. And it was great. Uh, skewers are awesome. Uh, I agree. I have not been to Japan, uh, but... I enjoy just about anything on skewers. They are fun. Uh, the other, like non, um, like like Japanese uh, part of it, uh, I want to. I don't have skewers at home. Um, I should, um, but one thing I want to make actually is um, like more Persian food, and like there's like uh, kebab stuff you can make, and it's it's just easier to do on the skewers, um, even though it's it's not this isn't technically the same because it's not, you're not combining, you know, stuff. Um, this is more like shaping the meat on the skewer and then, um, or the kebab, I guess, and, um, cooking it that way. But yeah, just, I think I should been cooking more, uh, eventually probably going to get some skewers and just play around with them, various uh, different things. So like I would imagine for the kebab style, the wider, um skewers are better but like for the for those the like just um sharp and pointy uh ones are perfect and so yeah i i i like them a lot and i'm a fan um the last skewer note i'll i'll note is that uh the other favorite of mine i've only had it man i think i've only had it once uh, and I did not have it in Japan, but I had it in LA. Was a robotayaki, which is um, similar idea, but your it tends to be at least when I had it, it was smaller skewers over a, a small charcoal grill uh, in front Ooh. of you. Very very tasty. And is it done by a robot? Uh, it is, is not robata. Oh. 
Ah, got it. Um, so uh, well, if after- they don't get the season started, do we become a um, or a food podcast? Start to start talking about Japanese baseball. You got to pick a team. Oh man! All right, we'll think about it. Uh-huh. We got time. Yeah. Um, until then, <laughs> after I got skewered by Craig's trivia question. Ah, skewers is perfect. Well so, done. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.